Good morning. Thanks for tuning in. This is Pastor Julie Lewis from Asbury United Methodist Church in Smyrna, Delaware, where we share the love of God and the good news of Jesus Christ in all we do. And I have to tell you that out of all the deadly sins, this one makes me the most uncomfortable. I have no doubt that it will be uncomfortable to some of you as well. Now, we just don't like to talk about lust or sexual desire in church. And I'll admit, this is the first time I have spoken about this deadly sin. So I approach today's message with fear and trembling. But one thing I learned in seminary is that if the message doesn't make us uncomfortable in some way, then it won't do us any good. Because these messages are meant to help the Spirit transform us, our way of thinking, our way of seeing, and possibly our way of behaving. So we're all in the same boat together this morning, trying to hear a word from God about a challenge we deal with every day. And it may not be personally, but Somewhere, somehow in our lives and in our world, the deadly sin of lust is leaving its mark. As children of God who follow Christ, we know that becoming a disciple is not for the faint-hearted, and knowing our enemy is the first step in combating it. We are in this together, and if we allow the Spirit to move in us today, we'll be the better for it. So let's jump in. For a long time now, Christians have been thought of as prudish, uptight, or intolerant when it comes to sexual mores and values. Most people are clearly aware that the church preaches, and you can find it in our United Methodist Book of Discipline, that we uphold the virtue of fidelity in marriage and celibacy in singleness. For me, I see this as a clear biblical mandate as do not commit adultery is one of the Ten Commandments. And many times throughout scripture, if there is evidence that someone has had a sexual encounter before marriage, they are depicted as somehow damaged goods, not holy and pure. And most of the time they're referring to women, but we can see that men are included in this moral judgment. The actual definition of lust in the dictionary is an intense sexual desire or appetite, an uncontrolled or illicit sexual desire, a passionate or overmastering desire or craving. Regard the words intense, uncontrolled, passionate, and overmastering. These adjectives point to why lust can be deadly. If we take a look at history, we can see that the sin of lust has been both condemned and worshipped. During the Victorian age, we developed severe repressed views of sexuality, which led to an unhealthy view of our bodies. It became ingrained in us that our bodies and sexual pleasure were evil, a sign of being unholy and sinful, which did lead to prudish, uptight, and intolerant people. Then came the sexual revolution, which traded one unhealthy view for another one. Now our bodies were not evil, but things to be exalted, experienced, and even worshipped. 
We claimed freedom from those Victorian mores and views to tell the world that our bodies were wonderful. So we began to elevate them by doing whatever we could to perfect them through fitness, cosmetic procedures, supplements, lotions, and lots of artwork. I can remember the slogan, if it feels good, do it, whatever turns you on. Pleasure and physical experiences became key to living the good life, and that included sexual freedom. We went from one extreme to the other. And didn't the sin of lust celebrate when we claimed that freedom because it was now free to run rampant in the world? As we look at this deadly sin, we will talk about what it is, how it presents itself in the world today, and how we can turn unhealthy, destructive lust into love, the kind of love that brings healing and wholeness and helps us live the abundant, joyful lives Jesus came to give us. The thing we should acknowledge first is that lust presents us with a paradox. Genesis 1 reveals that God gave us sex as an intimate union, an act that makes the two become one flesh in order to express love in a beautiful and pleasurable way. In the beginning and ever since, it is the way we became co-creators with God to be fruitful and multiply, bringing new life into the world. But we know that this act of expressing love is not just for procreation alone, as some have claimed over the years, but also for joining two together in a covenant of love as the two shall become one. It is an act that is meant to be special and meaningful in the context of marriage and commitment, a beautiful expression of love not shared with anyone else. There should be no shame in the pleasure that this kind of union can bring to a couple who share their lives and love with one another to the exclusion of all others. If you want to have a better understanding of God's intention for this union, read the Song of Songs. It is a vivid, sometimes called racy, expression of this kind of love between two committed lovers. It is also, if you can bear to hear it, the picture of Christ's love for each of us. The depth and beauty of that love expressed truthfully, holding nothing back. Yet in Genesis 2, after sin enters the world and the world is skewed, suddenly that gift of procreation, childbirth, becomes a source of pain. And what was created for mutual affection and an expression of love begins to be seen as an act of submission and control. Lust never regards the other as an equal. The sad truth is lust almost always sees only itself wanting to get that momentary pleasure without any concern for the other. Lust makes anyone else involved an object, a means to an end, and love is rarely, if ever, part of it at all. The most recognized story of lust in the Bible is the story of David and Bathsheba, and David was walking on his roof and saw Bathsheba getting a bath on her roof, and he lusted after her. He wanted her, and he sent his servants to get her. And I know that some of us have been programmed to believe she seduced him, so it was her fault. But if you read the scripture, we see that David, using his power as king, took what he wanted. 
She would have had no choice. He not only had power over her, but power over her husband, Uriah, since he was in David's army. Bathsheba today might have been part of the Me Too movement. And David's lust led to even more terrible sins. And that's the thing with lust. It never considers the consequences. It has only one goal, to get that pleasure any way it can. She gets pregnant, and to try to cover up his sins, he ends up having Uriah murdered on the battlefield. He marries her, but then their baby dies. So many lives turned upside down. And isn't that what happens even today? When we act on our lust, the consequences can be real and terrible, and it can't be undone. We usually have to live with the damage. Now, it doesn't mean it's unforgivable or that we can't live meaningful lives after the fact, but we will have to live with the pain and suffering caused just because we wanted to live for the moment and didn't stop to think about what might happen next. Lust is damaging because it distorts our view of the world and our perception of love. It is one of the most deadly because it strikes at the core of our very being, the center of who we are and who we were created to be. One of our deepest needs is to love and to be loved. People who give lust the freedom to reign in their hearts and minds are probably just trying so hard to find that love. They think that sexual freedom is real freedom, but what really happens is that they become trapped. Lust always moves us away from our true selves and tells us that this kind of physical pleasure is what is really important, that it will give us a sense of happiness and purpose, but it never does what we expect. Acting out of lust never brings the satisfaction and wholeness They can come with true love being expressed between committed married couples who see each other as a vital part of their relationship, not just some one-night stand or hookup, as they say today. What lust does to us personally is it keeps us from loving. As I said before, lust sees the other as an object, a means to an end, not as a partner to be loved or cherished. When we act out of lust instead of committed love, we are selling ourselves short. We are saying that love is not important, and so the act designed by God to be the ultimate act of love between two people is cheapened to just an experience. I know from listening to others and from personal experience, that this kind of encounter most often leaves people feeling very unloved and unvalued. Do we believe this is what God wants for us? Would anyone believe that a moment of pleasure that can keep us from feeling we have value, from knowing real love is truly worth it in the end? Many times we say these casual encounters can make us cheap, and I believe there is some truth to that. We are all valuable children of God, made for true love. When we settle for anything less, we are essentially saying we're not worth what God believes we're worth. It can leave us with a void in our souls, feeling empty. Paul reminds us that our bodies are God's temple. Jesus lives here. 
Love lives in our heart and soul. If we can keep that in mind, maybe we won't succumb to lust because we won't accept anything less than true love. In our society, that revolutionary society that says anything goes, whatever feels good, do it. There are so many consequences that we don't often talk about, but we know they exist. As I said before, lust never considers the consequences. This is one reason there are so many abortions happening around the world. This beautiful act that God created to be an act of mutual love that has the power to create new life is turned into an act of personal pleasure with no regard for life. Those hookups, those one-night stands, are supposed to just feel good and be over, but when a child is conceived, well, we can't have that messing up our freedom or our future. We forget that this act was meant to join together two human beings in a relationship that is special, never-ending. In our Corinthians passage, we hear Paul reminding us that our bodies are members of Christ, that when we engage in sexual encounters, we are physically and spiritually joined together. The two become one. This kind of bond happens whether or not we are in a committed relationship. As Paul clearly says, engaging a prostitute, joined as one. A casual one-night stand, joined as one. We may not want to think about it this way, but we do become joined together, and that experience stays with us. That's one reason I believe rape is such a damaging crime. It just never leaves you. Adultery causes damage, too, because it breaks the trust of all those involved. Lust, in this case, breaks the marriage bond and can destroy families. An offshoot of envy, in that case, you know, the grass is always greener. It leaves a mark and crushes the spirits of those involved. It's become so commonplace, though, that most divorces occur because of infidelity. But as Jesus reminds us, lust begins with a thought. I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. He reminds us that when lustful thoughts come into our minds, we need to recognize them and call on the Spirit to eradicate them before we act. Other consequences we fail to think about in the heat of the moment can include sexually transmitted diseases, some of which never go away, lost friendships, unplanned pregnancies, broken hearts, maybe even prison. One casual or careless act can have life-changing consequences, and lust keeps us from thinking about them. But the bigger problem we see in the world stems from lust's ability to see other human beings as objects and not consider them real people. The social consequences of lust run wild in our world is human exploitation at its worst. Pornography and human trafficking are rising every day. Pornography changes everyone who engages in it, no matter what form they find it. In today's world, that's mostly the internet, but it can be magazines or videos. Even young people can find themselves the recipient of sexting, sending or receiving sexual pictures. 
And science tells us that viewing this kind of material literally changes how our brain functions. Viewing pornography can and often does change the way we see sex in general, but can also alter how we view our real-life partners and the meaning of love as we begin to separate love from the act of sexual intimacy. Right now, pornography is a $1 billion a year industry. Every second, people are spending over $3,000 on internet porn. Pornography changes what we believe is normal sexual behavior, as 88% of downloaded pornography contains acts of violence or aggression. It suddenly becomes okay to hurt our partners and not see them in a loving, compassionate way. It can lead to domestic abuse, as their partner is no longer an equal human being deserving of love, but an object to be controlled. Some begin to see even little children as objects of sexual pleasure, which causes such harm to those little ones for the rest of their lives, even potentially creating new addicts, which perpetuates this deadly sin. In the statistics I read, 10% of adults, and that's one in every 10 people for those that aren't real good at math, we have more than 10 people in this room, admit to being addicted to pornography. Someone right in the sanctuary could be dealing with the consequences of abuse caused by lust or has fallen under its spell. We can't cover our eyes and believe that people who love Jesus couldn't possibly be struggling with the sin. But he came to heal the broken and lift up the oppressed. And we're all in good company since we're all sinners in need of redemption. To defeat lust in our lives and in the world, we have to come back to love. We start by seeing ourselves as loved by God in such an intimate and personal way that we know God only wants the highest and best for us. If we see ourselves as worthy of true love, we will find it easier to wait if we're not married and to keep our eyes on our marriage if we are. As the body of Christ, we can be supportive and encouraging to one another, standing up for godly values, holding each other accountable to maintain our bodies as the temples Christ tells us they are. Every one of us, no matter our age, is susceptible to lust. So don't think that if you've crossed some age threshold in your life that it won't try to get a hold of you. Research tells us that Assisted living facilities and nursing homes are hotbeds of casual sex. Pornography exists, and human trafficking is everywhere. But God created us all for so much more. God created us for love. When lust comes calling, it can be powerful, but we can stand against it in the power of the Holy Spirit that lives within us, we can stand up for our right to be loved. We can stand up for our children. We can stand up for each other. We can be a voice 
that helps put an end to human trafficking. So if you're tempted to look at pornography, I can't tell you how many websites make their way into my spam mail, and it'd be so easy to click. Think about those people involved as real people, not just images on a screen. See them as someone's son or daughter, which they are, possibly even yours. See them as human beings worthy of real love, and maybe it won't hold so much appeal. If you're addicted to anything like pornography, remember our God is a forgiving God and seek help. Resist lust in whatever form it tries to turn your head and turn your heart. Take the time to think about the potential consequences and always see the other person and yourself as human beings worthy of the highest form of love. Then remember that we don't really have to look for love. It's right inside, and it will never leave us. Our Galatians passage reminds us that to counter those sins of the flesh, we can bear the fruit of the Spirit, one of which is self-control. Another is love. Bear fruit in all we do. We can go from lust to love and claim our God-given right to love and to be loved. Amen. Holy God, We know this world is not perfect, and sin is at our door every day. Help us in your power to overcome. And if we need help, Lord, send us the help. Help us seek you first in all things. And help us, Lord, to be a voice for those that may be trapped in this deadly sin so that we can by your power, rescue them and turn them back to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.